0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Indie Pioneers by Cosmetics Design Asia where we get to hear from some of the most fascinating independent beauty brands from Asia-Pacific. On this episode I'm chatting with the founder of Orsay Cosmetics, a makeup brand aiming to help Asian women find their perfect foundation shade. Yuchen and I talk about her brand journey and discuss the rampant problem of performative inclusivity in the beauty industry and how we can help break that cycle. Thanks so much for coming on, I've been looking forward to, to this meeting. Same here, since we last met, I felt like we could chat forever. <laughs> that's great, because we might chat forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. So for those who don't know, Ishan is the founder of Ause Cosmetics, a brand that specialises in complexion products. And Ause is best known for its foundations, which I have to say is probably my least favourite beauty product, because I've never really met one that actually matched with me. And, and you, my friend, being biracial, you must have had the same or or worse experiences than than me. So what made you put your foot down and say, enough's enough, I'm I'm just making my own foundation?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I am a lifelong beauty lover. I have loved makeup, skincare from a very young age of 10. When I first received my very first eyeshadow palette from my aunt, um, (laughs) I just went all out. It's very specific, yes. It was a toy quality, made in China. She probably got it from the (laughs) Yes, And it was meant as a toy, but I just went crazy with it. Anyone who would sit in a chair, my mom, my cousins, especially my younger cousins, I love just having them sit still and I would just have my way with whatever color of the day it was that I was playing with. And my passion for beauty blossomed even more. When YouTube makeup tutorials first became a thing, when I was a teenager, I would spend hours and hours watching makeup tutorials on YouTube, watching creators like Michelle Fun create different looks. And what I found the most hypnotizing was when they would apply foundation because that was when I saw the true transformation. It truly would make or break the look. And so. I was determined, I wanted that for myself, and I began my quest for a foundation product that suited me. And back then, I would save up all of my pocket money, I would go to drugstores like Watson's, I would comb through the aisles, I would go to department store counters, and I grew up in Singapore. Back then, we had a good mix of mainstream Western brands, and asian brands like the japanese and korean brands however i was never able to find my shade so let's talk about the japanese and korean brands especially back then and i would say this pretty much remains true today japanese and korean brands tend to have pretty limited shade ranges and it heavily caters to those with lighter skin so as someone who is mixed race. My father is Malay. My mother is Taiwanese. I inherited my father's caramel skin. So I was always too dark to use any of the shades from these Japanese and Korean brands. And as a young girl at the time, and also before the age of social media, I didn't think, Hey, these brands should be making more shades for people like me. The message I got at the time was that I should probably whiten my skin so I can find products that would actually work for me. And on the flip side of that, I should whiten my skin so I can be considered as beautiful. The signal I got was there's this perimeter within which, you know, these skin tones are what's beautiful. And if you're outside of it, then you're not. It's very deep for a young girl, so I don't know why my brain went there. (laughs) But I just felt overlooked and excluded by these brands that were purportedly made for Asian consumers. On the other hand, you know, the mainstream, the European brands, the American brands. Yes, they had many, many more shades. However, the undertones were always wrong for me. They were either too pink or too orange. And it makes sense, I guess, thinking about it, they create shades based on Caucasians with, and they typically have pink undertones. So I found myself in a place where I, I kind of just fell into this, you know, blank space where neither Asian brands nor Western brands catered to me. And for a long time, I just thought, you know, maybe foundation isn't right for me. Maybe, you know, it, it only works for some people. So I kind of gave up on looking for foundation products. And then when I was in my second last year at Pepperdine University, um, I had already been working at an ad agency in Los Angeles for two years. And this was when I was given the account of a global Japanese beauty brand to manage and so in 2016 I was running their um, media strategy for the entire US market and as an Asian woman living in the United States as a minority I was so incredibly proud of this global brand global Japanese brand because you can ask anyone here whether they're Caucasian or black or Asian you can ask them what this if they knew this brand, and they could tell you, yes, that's the Japanese beauty brand. And so as an Asian woman, I was so proud of how this Asian brand was able to grow itself into a household name in the United States. And I had so many ideas. When I got the account, I was like, oh, my gosh, there are so many things I want to suggest to, you know, essentially help this brand speak to people like me because even though this was such a well-established global brand, I felt like it wasn't really speaking to me. I felt like it was a little bit out of touch with, you know, uh, consumers in my generation. However, you know, I was just a intern at the time. I wasn't really able to move the needle, but that was the light bulb moment for me. I started thinking, what would it look like if there was actually a brand that not only created products that worked for my kind of skin tone, for my type of skin, but also speaks to those of us in this generation who are craving representation, who want a brand that actually caters to us, that really cares about Mm -hmm. our needs. And
0: so this was when the idea of Orsay was mm, conceived. Wonderful. And of course, it, it, I'm sure it wasn't easy to do this. You know, What were some of the, the product development challenges you faced? So number one was this was my first time doing it, right? I came yeah. from,
1: <laughs> I came from a consumer perspective. My only experience with beauty was buying it, using it. Mm-hmm you know, doing makeup on people. That was my only experience. So creating the products, it was really the hardest part when I decided to invest all of my time into building the brand. I knew right away that I couldn't do it on my own. I found a product development consultant who had experience building brands that are household names, skincare and makeup, And she was able to help guide me on this path, help find us the perfect chemist, help find us the perfect manufacturing partner. It was really hard for me to do so on my own because I really just didn't know where to start. Um, But then I decided to do things my own way, which was to create the formula from scratch and to own the formula because... What a lot of consumers don't understand is that there's a lot of white labeling in the industry. Yep. Anyone can go to a cosmetics manufacturer and just say, hey, I like this brand's formula. Can you just make that formula and then just put my, my branding and my packaging? You know, mm-hmm. Or they have their own formulas that you can just buy and then slap your own label yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. So it was an investment, It was difficult, but I knew that we wanted to own this piece of technology. And I'm really glad we did because this is our star product today, our serum foundation.
0: And it's not just the formulation you have to get right. You've got to get the color right.
1: The color was really tough. Yes.
0: (laughs) I mentioned this, this was my first
1: time creating a cosmetics product. So I was sitting in the conference room of the cosmetic manufacturer's at the cosmetic manufacturer's office, and the chemist walked in. He threw a Pantone skin color book, and then I thought, "Why are you throwing down this book full of like wallpaper, wall, wall paint colors of me?" And then he said, "No, these are th- these are skin colors." And Pantone claimed that they had captured every skin, every single skin color in the world, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know how true that is, I need to do more research, but as a consumer, just sitting there, I was dumbfounded. I would think that when you're creating a product that's for skin, skin would be involved. I didn't know that it was even an option for brands to pick pages out of a book to determine that this was going to be their foundation shade range.
0: Correct. So I would really say, you, you can't pick all of them, right? You're going to pick like only like 10, 12, 20, 50.
1: However, many you can afford. And, you know, I, I'm bootstrapped, which means that I am funding this business with my own savings, with the money that I've raised personally. And I could only afford to make six. So then he said, okay, pick your six shades out of this book. And then I said to him, there has to be a mistake, right? Because I, I didn't flip through every single ba- page of the book, but there's no way that I'm going to compile a shade collection just based off of these pages. Is there another option to do things? And he said, well, yes, this is what most people do. Just go to Sephora, go to your favorite store, pick your whatever brand that you like, pick the colors that you like, bring them here and we'll make it for you. And again, I was appalled. You're just telling me to copy the colors from other brands? No wonder I was never able to find a shade that actually worked for me. If this is what brands are doing, continuously perpetuating this library of shades that don't work for any of us, when are we ever gonna find a, a foundation shade that would suit you know, our group? So. That was when I decided, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we are going to actually do this the hard way. <laughs> and the chemist thought I was crazy. He thought I was crazy. He's like, well, you've never done this before, obviously. I was fresh out of university. He's like, you don't know anything. You're wasting my time. This is how big brands do it. So just just do it this way and don't waste my time. We, we eventually stop working with this manufacturer. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, we just did not agree with each other. (laughs) But we were able to find a manufacturing partner that has chemists who are, a lot of them are South Asian, Indian, Bangladeshi, and they were intrigued when I told them what I was trying to do. And one after another, they chimed in saying, hey, I've never been able to find a shade and I make cosmetic products all day, please keep us posted. You know, we wanna try your product. Maybe one day you'll make a shade for us. And so that was really validation for me that there is a hole in this market that needs to be filled. So we went about it the hard way. So what happened was I recruited all the Asian people I know, men and women. I recruited all of my friends. I had my friends recruit their friends. And from there, we narrowed down to six shades that
0: was a good representative from light to deep. I know you told me you said that there's a there's a woman behind every shade. There is a woman behind every shade, yes.
1: Shade number one, zero one zero Finea is based on my cousin who lives in Taiwan. And she would always complain to me that Even though she has really fair skin, people think it's so easy for her to find a foundation that works for her. But in fact, most shades that would suit her in the market tend to be too pink because obviously when a shade is this light, it tends to be created for Caucasians, right? So I was able to develop the shade based on
0: her. Um, What's your cousin's name? My cousin's name is Kesha. I'd like to thank Kesha because I'm also shade 010. And I I have the exact same, I I completely resonate with everything she said. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear
1: that. Mm. I think that, you know, there's really a blank space when it comes to shades, especially for Asian skin tones, because there's a common misconception that we are fair enough to just use shades created for Caucasians. A lot of Mm -hmm. us are fair, but our undertones may not necessarily be the same. And that's something that a lot of brands forget about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So shade number three was based on me and also on my godmother, Josie. And Mm -hmm. um, I made sure to not just base it on myself, but also test it on people with similar skin tones to me because we recognize that everyone's different. We want to develop a shade that is going to be flattering across yeah. all yeah. the different undertones. And then our shade number six, Laura, is based on my friend Nancy, who is Cambodian American. She always called herself the darkest Asian girl in the room. Um, <laughs> but as I built, this brand, oh dear, as I built this brand, I've learned that you know, shade six the, is not the darkest not shade. Not the darkest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we are actually right now developing six more shades to add to yeah. our collection and mm-hmm. we will be launching that this fall.
0: Fantastic. I know, like, I know six is not a lot, you know, and I've, I've said this the last time we've met. I think you've met, even though it's just six, six, six shades, you managed to fill this gap and represent us Southeast Asian folk. <laughs> because I think a lot of people still equate Asian to being North Asian and the rest of us kind of get lost in the mix.
1: Yes, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. (laughs) Yeah, especially the South Asians, the Southeast Asians, we get forgotten. You know, when, especially here in the States, if you look at all the advertising, all the marketing, it's almost always the token Asian model who is very fair, probably Chinese, Japanese, or Korean. Yeah, and, and you know, we have obviously Hollywood to thank for that. We're being depicted as this monolith of, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans with slanted eyes and we are either, we work in a nail salon or we're the nerdy nanny
0: <laughs> or the geisha. Yeah. So as we, as we talk about this, do you think the industry today is doing enough to be, in, to be inclusive in your opinion?
1: You know, inclusivity is something that's quite recent. I I feel like a lot of us forget that before Fenty launched, inclusivity was not really a thing. Mm. And so, you know, I want to thank Fenty for really fighting the battles for a lot of us brands who are trying to serve groups that are not currently represented by the beauty industry um I actually started working on Orsay before Fenty even launched
0: or yeah, that's a very long time ago. Yeah. And so, you know,
1: when we launched, Fenty had just launched. And so we yeah. were in this time when people were starting to see, okay, one size fits all solutions do not work for everybody. Um, different ethnicities do need different colors so it it was kind of a reckoning in the beauty industry it's not okay to only make shades for a certain you know demographic and try to sell it to everybody but the problem with this culture is that there's a lot of performative inclusivity that happens Mm -hmm. in the beauty industry and you know the reason i want to talk about this performative inclusivity is that it's really tough for us smaller brands that are trying to solve the frustrations of a specific target consumer that we know so we know so much about right us being asians we understand the frustrations of asian skin of not being able to find the right undertone And we're trying to create solutions for us. And the problem with that is the industry rewards those very big brands with a lot of financial backing who are able to launch out of the gate with 40, 50 shades. Mm -hmm. And it kind of penalizes the smaller brands who maybe don't have the budget to launch out of the gate with so many shades. Trust me, I wanted to launch with 50 shades. If I if I had the money, I'll launch 100 a, a shades. But, you know, at the end of the day, are you actually creating shades that are working mm. for the people you are trying to target? I see a lot of brands now launching dozens and dozens of shades, yeah. and I read the reviews from consumers complaining that none of them really actually work yeah
0: that's what i don't like as well yeah because it it makes inclusivity a numbers game which it shouldn't be
1: exactly inclusivity has become a numbers game and it's rewarding those who are able to you know meet the numbers right Mm -hmm. um and so you know we actually have a lot of customers who reached out saying hey i'm currently not a shade within your range i'm currently using this this shade from this other brand but honestly that shade did not match me at all so here's a photo can you make a shade for me because i've tried your (laughs) brand i i love the formula and i have friends who use your shade and they tell me it's the best match they've ever seen so people recognize that we're actually doing the work to make sure that each and every shade we launch is going to be a true match, rather than just dumping a bunch of shades out there so we can have this very impressive lineup.
0: If there was one change you'd like to see right now, if you could make it happen instantly, what will it be? What I wish to see in this industry is an abundance
1: of niche brands, each catering to a demographic group that they have specialized interest in, that they have done the homework on that they understand because you know the truth is you cannot serve everybody when you when mm-hmm. i went to mm-hmm. when i went to pepperdine when i studied marketing the first thing i learned in my marketing class was your target audience cannot be everybody any right. brand that says we are for everybody they're lying because <laughs> There is no one-size-fits-all, that different people have different needs. And Mm -hmm. brands like Orsay, we have specialized interests in the audience that we are serving, in the consumers we are serving. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something very precious about that. We do the research on Asian skin. We work with experts on Asian skin. And I would love to see more of this for other demographic groups, because I believe that everyone deserves a brand that truly cares about their needs and is creating solutions to meet those needs. So that's one thing that I would I would love to change. I would love to change this numbers game in the beauty industry and really push for more authentic inclusivity. You know, imagine a world where you walk into a Sephora, for example, or any beauty store, and you just know that no matter what your background is, you are going to find a brand that is created for you. That is the world that I would love to strive for.
0: That's brilliant. And so what's next for Osei? For so uh, the most exciting thing coming up for
1: us is our expansion of our shade range. We talk mm-hmm. a lot about inclusivity and yeah. I am the first to admit that Six Shades is not enough. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, a- the Asian, I mean, Asian is such a broad term, right? We have everyone from the, the Chinese to Indians to Pakistanis to Thais, Indonesians. And so my dream is to one day be able to encompass all of these beautiful groups into our shade range and and we're taking baby steps to that. Mm. So this year we're going to be launching more shades, deeper shades, in between shades for undertones not currently covered like olive undertones, for example. They're very common in the South Asian uh, group. So that's the most exciting thing for us coming up. And then following that, we would be launching more exciting color products that are also skincare infused.
0: Is, is that? Can you hint what that will be? What it will be? Well, hint. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, I hope oh, you're okay. working on a. I hope you're working on a concealer, actually.
1: <laughs> you know what's funny? I was actually going to share with you some top products requested by our customers, and concealer is, is one of them.
0: Yeah, because it's—I mean, it's in—in—it's much harder than foundation. It's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. So I'm like, why can't you guys request something else? <laughs> but I recognize that it's necessary. I this is a challenge to you. Yes. Because right, right now I've <laughs> given up. I've completely given up. I—I'm I, just embracing it. This is my look. I'm—I'm I'm an overworked <laughs> and very tired journalist. <laughs> you look great. I mean, you have flawless skin. Oh, no, no, but thank you so much. Yeah, but no, it's not flawless. I mean now, because I'm wearing your foundation. I did, I did it for you today. Yeah. Oh, okay, you. I know we've we've talked a lot about your foundation, but you know your powder, though? That's an unsung hero. Yay! That one, right? <laughs> and I must tell you, my favourite thing about it is that when you open it, I'm, I'm, I have one in my hand right now, and when you open, there's a bowl on the underside of the cap to swirl your brush in. The
1: golden dome, that's what I call it.
0: <laughs> It's just it's such, genius. I love it. It's so simple and, and absolutely genius.
1: It's just such a pleasant experience, right? Yeah. And I'm I think, you know, being an, an an Asian woman, we are all about the little things that can just improve yeah. your experience, little exactly. things that can just make life a little bit more convenient for you. Because yeah. my biggest pet peeve is opening up a jar of setting powder. And just having the powder fly
0: everywhere. Yes, exactly. And I like loose powder. Yeah. The cakey ones, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it just blows my mind how, not going to name names, but some top-selling setting powder products in the market, they still don't have a stopper. You just peel off the sticker and there's a hole and you keep
0: it in your bag, you open it and it explodes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It makes me want to, like I wear, I I don't wear your foundation every day, only special occasions, but I wear the powder every day. Um, Not saying I need that, but I just, I just enjoy using the bowl. (laughs) We should definitely just, talk about that more often.
1: I, the I ball, guess. Yeah, Yeah, cuz you know, we're so focused on like driving home the benefits and and the performance, yeah. but because yeah. the the design of the product is just so natural to me that I don't even think to to talk, to talk about it, you know. Are there any indie brands you admire? Yeah, I'll just shout out to my mentor. So, my mentor's name is Sarah Lee. And she's actually the co-founder of Glow Recipe. And mm. once upon a time, Glow Recipe was an indie brand. <laughs> they've since grown so much. So I, I wouldn't call them an indie brand anymore, but yeah. they've created just such an amazing brand that it, it not only speaks to those of us who, you know, are obsessed with like Asian skincare, Korean skincare, but it, it went viral here in the United States, and I just have so much respect for them being able to create a brand like this, and you know, launching with Sephora. Now they're worldwide. Yeah, I, you know, that's goals for me. So there's a brand called Air Atelier, and it's founded by Kendra Richards. She's a makeup artist who. Decided to create a primer, like that's her whole brand—just primers. She started with a face primer, and then she expanded into, you know, eye primer, lip primer. And I don't use any primers because I have never used one that I liked. Every single primer I've ever tried—they immediately ball up
0: when I apply it foundation. Yes, they pill. Got it. They
1: pill, and it's so annoying, right? Because you've done all the work. And then you apply your your foundation, and it starts rolling off. That really makes me so upset. How I discovered this brand was um, I was doing a photo shoot, and the makeup artist I was working with, she asked me, is it okay if I put some primer on you? And I said, no. I don't want to use any primer. It it just doesn't work. And she says, this one is different. Trust me. (laughs) This will not peel." This will look so good under your makeup. You're still gonna look dewy. I'm not gonna make you look matte. Yeah. And so I said, Okay, let's try it. And I was obsessed. Like this is honestly the best primer I've ever used. And she's available on Nere Porte, I believe. I don't know if she's available on other international platforms. Yeah. Um, but I want to just shout out to Kendra. You've built such an amazing brand. Eretelier is is a brand like Orsay. You know, we, we're crazy enough to launch with one product. I launched with a foundation. She launched with a primer. And these are products that brands don't typically launch with. Correct. Usually they launch with, I don't know, lipstick, eyeshadow palette. It's hard, right? It, it's not really that, hero product that you think for it's it's not as exciting and colorful but these are products that will make or break your entire look
0: yeah i'm looking at the website right now they, they call themselves the anti-primer primer line yes that's <laughs> yes. cute i like that they really do sound interesting. i definitely will check them out. Thank you so much, Yichen, for sharing My that. Pleasure. The last question is usually just for me so I can go check out new brands actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have many more. I'll send it I'll send them to you. Well, Yichen, thank you so much. It's it's really it was really a pleasure to speak with you and hear your thoughts and I really have to thank you and for your honest and, and really candid answers. It's really great speaking. Thank
1: you, Amanda. And
0: I know it's pretty really late for you as well. Thanks so Not much. Not at all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. This has been Amanda for CosmeticsDesignAsia.com. Join me again in the next episode for more conversations with beauty's indie pioneers.